Okay, we are shifting to a different focus this morning, not necessarily an attitude in itself, but a means by which we might gain the attitudes that we've been talking about, and that's prayer. We're talking about transforming attitudes through prayer. And uh, that's a big subject. There's a lot to cover. I don't expect that we'll get it all finished this morning. But um, we will do our very best to talk about this great tool or resource that Christ has given us to be transformed, which is a key idea in 2024 for Asheville Road, and namely to get an attitude adjustment that God wants us to have. Uh, It's a very neglected discipline in our lives, the discipline of prayer. And I think there are a lot of people who have been Christians for a long time who will admit they struggle with prayer. Maybe you're one of those. I think all of us admit the need to improve in this area. So we're going to talk about it in terms of how prayer can transform our attitudes before, during, and after. So let's start with before prayer. And uh, what I'm thinking about here is the conditional nature of prayer. Prayer can transform your attitude beforehand in the sense that you have to be in a certain condition in order to pray appropriately to God and for your prayer to be effective. Um, I was talking to someone one time who had another person pray for them. And the person who prayed for them, this, this person who received the prayer, didn't feel that they were in a right condition with God. And she said, I don't guess the prayers got any higher than the ceiling. And I understood what she meant by that. She did not believe the person really had the privilege of prayer because prayer is conditional. And the Bible does teach that in several verses. Let's look at a few of those as we start this idea. First of all, look at Psalm 66, verse 18. David says, If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. So the heart is where the attitudes are. And uh, it's possible for you to have a sinful attitude. That's what it means to cherish iniquity in your heart. And look at the condition. If I had done that, God would not have listened to my prayer. Uh, I put the reference to Galatians 5 up there because the works of the flesh are listed in verses 19 through 21. And if you go back and look at it, we're not going to take the time to read it this morning. But If you go back and look at it, it's amazing how many of those works of the flesh are just attitudes you can harbor in your heart internally without doing anything externally. You could look like a great Christian and commit some of these works of the flesh. And so we have to be careful about the attitudes in our heart that could become an impediment to our prayer life. Here's another one. The Lord is far from the wicked, but He hears the prayer of the righteous. Proverbs 15, 29. Note the contrast between the distance between God and the wicked and His willingness to hear the prayer of the righteous. Proverbs 21, verse 13. Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out 
and not be answered. So the previous proverb was a contrast. Here's a comparison. The poor and the wicked have something in common. People aren't listening to them. The wicked aren't listening to the poor, and God's not listening to the wicked because of his attitude toward the poor. And then this next one is James 4, over in the New Testament, verses 2 and 3. James is explaining to his readers why their prayers are being unanswered. And he says, You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Their prayers were selfish. They were consumerist prayers that were treating God not as a father in heaven, but as a powerful being who, should, who could be manipulated and who should do whatever they ask so they could spend his blessings on their passions. Um, you know, a lot of people struggle with unanswered prayer, and if you feel your prayers aren't being answered, the first place you should start is in your relationship with God and ask yourself, have I met the conditions for prayer? Am I a child of God in right standing before Him? Or are my, is my attitude and my actions in some way becoming an obstacle to my prayer life? I like this example in 1 Peter 3. Look at this about the marriage relationship. 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands are told to live with their wives in an understanding way. That's an attitude that he's asking husbands to have. Know your wife, know her heart, know her desires and her feelings, and live in a way that is understanding toward her. Because a lot's at stake, he says, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Look at the warning. So that your prayers may not be hindered. What does he mean by that? He means if you're not being the kind of husband you ought to be, if you have a bad attitude toward your wife, your prayers may be hindered from getting to the ears of God. One last one here, and these are not all the verses on this by any means, but they get the idea in your mind. This is 1 Peter 3, verse 12. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are open to, the prayer, open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So you see the contrast there again. Eyes and ears open to the righteous. The face of the Lord is against the evildoers. I think that suffices to show the point that Prayer is conditional in nature. You have to be in a right standing with God in order to enjoy the privilege of prayer. Do you have to be perfect? Of course not. If you had to be perfect, that would mean there are certain things you can't pray for, such as forgiveness. So it's more about the covenant that you are in with God than your perfection or something of that kind. And there are some reasons for this, and I want to go through this progressively. So... In talking about the reasons for these conditions, first of all, at its core, prayer is part of a conversation with another person, that being God, with whom you have a covenant relationship. Prayer is more about relationship than getting things. And that's something that you have to get some maturity in order to understand. When Jesus taught us to pray, 
He taught us to pray as children to our Father in heaven. The model prayer, Matthew 6, 9, starts, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus wants us to pray to him. And it's okay that sometimes we open our prayers, Dear God, or Lord in heaven, or something like that. But sometimes I fear that we forget that primarily in prayer, our thoughts ought to be, I'm speaking to my Father who is in heaven. Later on in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says in Matthew 7, 7 and following, asking it will be given to you, seeking you will find, knocking it will be open to you. Whoever asks receives, whoever seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be open. He says, which of you, if your child asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? He says, if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your Father in heaven know how to give good gifts to those who ask him? So good parents don't aggravate and frustrate their children by giving them stones instead of bread and snakes instead of fish. You know, they make sure they're well fed. They know how to give good gifts to their children. Well, that applies to those of us who are imperfect. How much more will God, who is our Father in heaven, who is perfect, how much more will He know how to give good gifts to us? And all of that is to say that God is our Father in heaven, and we should pray to Him as such. And we know this more and more as we study His Word, and look at passages like Matthew 6 and Matthew 7. Look at uh, Galatians 4, 4 through 7. And notice what it says. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. So that's the truth. The gospel makes it possible for God to adopt us as His children, sons and daughters. Look at what comes next. Because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Now those two words are related to the relationship. Abba is an Aramaic term of tenderness. And uh, Father, of course, is the word of relationship that we've been talking about. And uh, I've seen it translated a variety of ways. My favorite translation of this is Father, dear Father. That's how we pray to Him in tenderness as a Father who loves us. So you're no longer a slave, Paul says, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. The Spirit has been sent into our hearts, and through His Word, He teaches us this relationship that we have. We couldn't imagine it otherwise. Never in our wildest imaginations could we think the maker of the universe would want to be our father by adoption, even after we sinned against him. But we learn from the gospel that that is true. And the more we read it and the more we strive to believe it, the more that truth is driven into our hearts and that relationship is reinforced, which will fuel our prayer lives in the right direction. But if we don't respond to that gospel, there's an obstacle there that gets in the way. And so the Spirit works on our attitudes in this way, by driving home the nature of our relationship with God and causing us to cry out to Him as Father.
Now, that's the first part of the explanation is remember we're in a relationship. Now, let's take it one step further. Prayer is part of a conversation with, with our Father with whom we have a relationship. And He has other children besides ourselves that He cares about. So not only do we need to mind our actions toward our Father in Heaven, but we must also mind our actions towards His children who are our brothers and sisters in Christ. So look at Isaiah chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. They had been mistreating their brethren who are God's children. And so God's saying, I don't hear your prayers because of how you're treating my family. So don't forget, being in a relationship with God means you're in a relationship with all his children. So you've got to mind your attitude toward him. You've got to mind your attitude toward all his family members. Think about this. You can't go to your neighbor and say, I love you, but I can't stand your dog and I hate your kids. Right? What's your How's your neighbor going to feel about that? He's not going to like that a whole lot. He's not going to feel very loved if you don't like his dog and kids. And so in order to have this ability to converse with your Father in Heaven, you've got to mind your attitude towards His children. Because like any parent, He cares about His family. Okay? We can go even deeper than that. So let's take it a step further. We started with, remember you're in a relationship with God. And then number two, we said, you're in a relationship with God. That means you're in a relationship with His family too. The third thing is you're in a relationship with God and He is a holy God. Okay, He's not just your Father. He's your Holy Father. And that brings up passages to mind like Habakkuk 1.13. You are of pure eyes and cannot behold iniquity. Or Isaiah 59.1 and 2. Your sins have made a separation between you and your God. Or... Think of all the rituals and ceremonies of the Old Testament that are designed to illustrate God's holiness and the contamination of sin. Uh, you know, the tabernacle, the way it was structured with the courtyard on the outside, and then the holy place that only the priest could enter, and then the most holy place, place where the Ark of the Covenant was. And that could be entered only one day of the year and only by the high priest, and him with protections to keep himself holy because God is a holy God and he's not to be approached flippantly or not to be brought into contact with the contamination of sin. Often here our men pray, Lord, forgive me of my sin as I utter this prayer so that my prayers are not hindered from coming to you on behalf of this congregation. That's not a requirement, but I think that's a really good attitude to come to God in prayer. It's before the prayer 
making sure your relationship is intact with the Father so that you can approach Him. So as you go to prayer, you're making preparations internally the same way the Israelites did before they went to the temple. They had to, they had to bring sacrifices on their own behalf. They had to, the priests had to do ceremonial washings. They had to wear certain kinds of clothes. They had to follow certain rituals and, and look at the commandments of God. Well, before you come to God in prayer, you've got to be prepared as well. Namely, you have to prepare your attitude. And so all those thoughts are, are important to think about. Now, somebody might bring up a, a challenge to this idea of conditional prayer and say, what about Cornelius? Okay, so Cornelius is introduced to us in Acts chapter 10, the beginning of the chapter. He is a Gentile. He's not in a covenant relationship with God per se. He appears to be what Luke often refers to as a God-fearer, which is a Gentile who has followed the law of Moses all the way up to the point of circumcision. So he hasn't fully become a covenant Jew, but he prays to the God of the Jews. He offers sacrifices, he gives alms, etc. This is the picture we have of Cornelius the Gentile at the beginning of Acts chapter 10. And he's praying to God, and it appears that in answer to his prayer, God sends Peter to preach the gospel to him. And the result is that Cornelius and his family become the first Gentile converts to Christianity. And so some will throw that up and say, see there, you know, you don't have to be a Christian in good standing with God in order for God to hear your prayer. Well, I think it's important to notice what God did in answer to Cornelius' prayer. It's not a sinner's prayer. You know, in the religious world, there's a lot of talk about the sinner's prayer. If you want to be saved, just say a prayer to God and he will forgive your sin. Is that Cornelius' experience? Not at all. He did not forgive his sin because of that prayer. Instead, he sent him a preacher to tell him what he needed to do to be saved, which included faith and repentance and confession and baptism. And then he and all his household were baptized, and then he was forgiven of his sin. So if you want to use the example of Cornelius, you must think of it in terms of a sinner crying out to God for help, and the help God gave him was the gospel. Um, I don't think it's really pertinent to this idea that your attitude needs to be adjusted before you go, go to God in prayer. And so this is the first way prayer is a means to transformation is you have to have an attitude to gain the privilege of a child who can go to his father in prayer. Okay. Secondly, we talked about before prayer. Now let's discuss what happens during prayer because prayer can also transform your attitude in the very act of it during the process of prayer. Um, the act of prayer itself is an attitude adjustment. This gets us to another condition for prayer. And this condition has to do with, with what happens in the process. And that is that when you ask, you must ask according to God's will. And so there's a humility that takes place as you pray. Pray according to God's will. Here's a couple passages on this. 1 John chapter 5, 14 and 15. 
This is the confidence we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request we've asked of Him. If we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Lord, why aren't you answering my prayer? Well, you may be praying for something God can't do because in His nature, what you're asking is a violation. God is not going to deny Himself. I think that's 2 Timothy 2.13. If we are faithless, He is faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. God's not going to deny His character in order to answer your prayer. Jesus is the model of this, right? You remember how He prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane? My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. That's the example that we should follow. And uh, I'm sure that brings up some questions. The, the foremost being, if God already knows what we need, and He's not going to go against His will, what's the point of prayer in the first place? If, if I've got to go and change my requests in order to match up with God's will, that I'm not really sure what it is in this case or that, what is the point of prayer? And before we get to the exact answer of that, let me just make a little side point here that might be helpful. For the Christian, there really isn't anything... There really isn't any such thing as unanswered prayer. God answers all our prayers. Now, He may not answer them in the way we want them answered. You've heard this before. He could give you a yes, He could give you a no, He could give you a not now, or He could give you, I'll give you something even better than what you asked for. So it's not always yes, and, and you've heard that before, but think of it this way. There's a, there's a little different way of thinking about this. And that is, he's either going to give you what you asked for, or he's going to give you what you would have asked for if you knew all that he knows. What do you think about that? He's either going to give you what you asked for, or he's going to give you what you would have asked for if you knew what he knows. And so, the basic attitude in prayer, the, the basic desire, that is, that you have in prayer will always be answered, but he may have to alter the mode or the results because of our ignorance. He's omniscient. He knows what we need, but he wants that desire from a child who is humble before his throne. Now, I wanted to put that out there, and then we'll get to the direct answer to the question, why pray at all? What's the point of prayer? And it goes back to what we said in the last point. This is about a relationship. It's not about just getting what you want or getting out of trouble. It's not an escape ladder. It's... It's conversation with God. He speaks to you through His Word. You respond in prayer. 
There's a back and forth that happens in any good relationship. What happens to relationships on earth when people don't talk? What happens to a friendship? What happens to Christian relationships and brothers and sisters in Christ? What happens in churches? What happens in marriages? If there's no conversation communication, the relationship can't survive, right? So why would we think our relationship with God would survive without prayer? Whenever somebody says, well, if I have to ask according to his will, what's the point? He already knows what he's going to do anyway. The person who says that is missing the entire point, right? And it may be that they're not getting their attitude right in the middle of prayer. So in the midst of prayer, there is this humility that needs to go on. I think a good example is, um, is Abraham. A lot of Abraham's conversations with God amount to prayer. We, we look at it in a miraculous sense, and there was some miraculous revelation going on that we don't have since we have the written word, but remember when God said, I will make you a great nation out of your child by Sarah. And before Isaac was born, do you remember what Abraham prayed to God? Please take Ishmael and make a great nation out of him. Well, this goes back to what I was saying. God will either give you what you ask or give you what you would have asked if you knew what he knows. God answered no, and he said yes at the same time. He said, no, it's not going to be Ishmael. Isaac will be the son of promise. However, I will make Ishmael a great nation. He's just not going to be my covenant nation. And so Abraham had this attitude in prayer of humility. I'm, going, I'm praying. I'm not really sure what's going on. I'm going to ask for this and trust that you're going to work out the details in your divine will. Any wise person without this guarantee would never dare pray, right? If you're, if you're smart and you don't know that God, if you think God will give you just whatever you ask, unequivocally, you're not going to pray to him because you could bring danger to yourself and, and to the whole world. It's like putting ultimate superpower in the hands of somebody that doesn't have the morality to handle it. They turn into a supervillain. Well, it would be like a superpower. Anything I ask for, I get immediately. If you're smart and that's the case, you're not going to do it. Only the wise pray when they know that God's will ultimately will be done. Okay, so I've said enough about that. Let's go to the time after prayer. This is what we usually think of when we think of transformation through prayer, what God does in answer to our prayers. That's what I mean by after the prayer. And uh, the first thing I want to say here is that attitude changes after prayer happen very gradually, internally, invisibly, so they're almost imperceptible to the person to whom it's happening. And sometimes you may not feel you're getting results. And uh, if, you, if you really want to see what's happening in your life, I think a good practice is to keep a prayer journal. And all that is is a daily accounting of where you're at, what's happening in your life, and what you have prayed for. 
and what you can recall that God has the answers to your prayers. And after about six months of that or a year, you go back and look at those beginning prayers and you're going to see that changes have occurred. It's just hard in the midst of it to, to see the change. Um, when, when people see my son Jackson, who haven't seen him in a long time, will say, well, I didn't even recognize him. He's grown so much. But seeing him every day, we don't realize how radical that growth is, not until we see a picture from a year ago or two years ago. And so that's how spiritual growth happens too. When you're with it, you don't really see it happening, but it's happening. Now let's get into some specifics. First of all, let's talk about anxiety. That's, that's one attitude that can change. God promises that through prayer, He replaces anxiety with peace. Uh, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So it begins with a command, do not be anxious about anything, but then he tells you how the command is fulfilled. It's fulfilled through prayer. And part of that prayer needs to be thanksgiving. Yes, it involves what he calls prayer and supplication. I don't know that those two terms really are meant to be distinguished that much. He's just generally talking about prayer. Supplication is where you plead for things, you ask God for things. So maybe you're asking for peace. But he says this needs to be tempered by thanksgiving. So in your prayers, you're reminded of God's blessings... You're reminded of his protections, which alleviate the anxiety as you go. And he said, uh, you, you make your requests known to God. You bring it all out before him. And the promise is that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, it's a peace that is inexplicable. It can't really be explained. It's going to guard your hearts and minds. That's a military term. So the imagery that he's painting here is of your heart in a fortified city with the centuries of peace marching around it, guarding it from all care and worry and anxiety. And the anxiety he's promising against here is, is worry over things beyond your control. He's not talking about all care and concern. God doesn't want to wipe that out. What kind of parents would we be? What kind of people? What kind of citizens? What kind of neighbors? What kind of church members would we be if we didn't care about anything? You, you have concern and care over what is under your control, and you take care of that. But when it comes to those things beyond your control, you give that to God. You put that on Him. And that's, that's what we pray about and what we try to give to Him in prayer. And the peace will replace the anxiety. You also have this in 1 Peter 5 or 7. Casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. I'm not really sure why we um, changed the old King James, which is true to the original and also very poetic, casting all your cares on Him because He cares for you. There's an exchange of care. He cares about us so we can give our cares to Him. I think that's beautiful. And then also, um, 
we need to point out what Jesus said in John 14, 27. This is on the evening of his arrest. He's preparing his disciples for his departure. He says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. I think it's very important that we understand the peace that he's promising is different from the peace the world promises you. The world says, buy this car with all these safety measures and you won't get hurt. Uh, take this pill and all your problems will go away. Uh, go to this conference and you'll learn all the secrets to happiness. Read this book and you'll find great joy. Quick fixes, right? The world is always promising that kind of peace. And Jesus says, this isn't, the peace I'm leaving with you is not as the world gives you. World peace is often just the absence of conflict. And Jesus isn't promising that. He's not saying that I'm going to remove conflict from your life. That's impossible. Even if you were on a desert island, you would have conflict. You can you say, well, I can't stand people. Well, you move the people, you got a whole new problem with conflict. you got all kinds of inner conflict to deal with that maybe the people were distracting you from. Now you're by yourself and you're with the worst enemy of all, your own mind. So you can't avoid conflict as much as you'd like to. What Jesus is offering is a peace within conflict where you know God is going to take care of it. You know that it's not all up to you. You have a place, you have someone stronger than you who is promising to work through you. And that is far more valuable than anything that the world will offer. Okay, in the last few minutes here, I want to address this question. Because I think it relates to what we're talking about in terms of transformation. We're talking about transforming our attitudes through prayer. But before we get there and understand that after prayer we can be different, we've got to address this misconception about what happens to God in prayer. I think a lot of us think prayer is all about transforming God. God's doing this. I want to pray so He will do that. Now, we may not voice it that way, but that's how a lot of us look at prayer. It's all about changing Him, not me. I'm going to stay right here, and I want him to fix everything around me that he's causing. But you have these passages to contend with, like Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, I, the Lord, do not change. Or James chapter 1, verse 17, which says that with God there is no variation or shadow due to change. It is a fundamental truth about God's nature that he doesn't change. Theologists call it, theologians call it uh, immutability. It's just a big word for saying God doesn't change. Well, somebody will bring up Moses. You know, when Moses prayed to the Lord in Exodus 32 about the golden calf and all the worship there, uh, Moses prayed the Lord was going to consume all of Israel and Moses interceded, and the Lord relented from the disaster that he said that he would do. And somebody says, well, he changed his mind. Or Hezekiah is an example. In 2 Kings chapter 20, Hezekiah, uh, Isaiah was sent to Hezekiah to say, you're going to die from this illness. He turned his face to the wall and prayed. 
Isaiah returned, the Lord has heard your prayer. He's given you 15 years to live. Well, did the Lord change? Not exactly. Here's what's happening in those cases and in every case where prayer gets different results. God is infinite in all his attributes. He's immutable. He doesn't change. And when we're the ones changing like the moon rotating around the earth or the earth rotating around the sun. When we're on one side of God's infinite nature, we see one thing. When we change and travel over to the other side of God's nature, we see an entirely different side of Him. So when we're in sin, we're moving over to the, the wrath of God. The face of God that is full of wrath and righteous indignation over sin. His righteousness will not budge. It will not move. But because of the cross, we can move and um, go where Christ is, which is on the side of God's love and mercy. God has stayed the same. We are changing as we pray. Prayer involves a change of attitude. And I've got a few quotes that will wrap this up from men who can say this a lot better than I can, if I can get to them. Eugene Peterson said, Prayers are not tools for doing or getting, but for being and becoming. Not doing and getting, but being and becoming. And then Oswald Chambers says, To say that prayer changes things is not as close to the truth as saying prayer changes me and then I change things. Prayer changes things, yes, but how? Not in transforming God, but in transforming us. So prayer is a very useful tool for attitude adjustments. You have to become a Christian and um, have the right attitude going in toward God as Father. So before prayer, during prayer, you're in this act of humility. The act itself is an attitude adjustment. When you're praying, not my will, but your will be done. And then after prayer, the results such as the peace of God exchanging for your anxiety and many other benefits that we didn't have time to talk about will change you after the process in the answered prayers that you get. All right, that's what we had planned for prayer. And I appreciate all your kind attention this morning.